hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, the Certified Agriculture Dealership Program is teaming up with RFD TV for a new live farm show. AEM's Kurt Blades talks about how ag equipment manufacturers have weathered 2020. Ray Bohax brings you his bushels and scents, and we meet up-and-coming Nashville singer-songwriter Talon Hope. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, many farm shows have been forced to go virtual this fall and are using the internet as a primary domain, but a new national plus local live farm show slated for next month will bring a virtual farm show to the airwaves of RFD TV. Here to talk about Ag Rally, America's new live farm show, is Patrick Driscoll, the president and CEO of the Certified Agriculture Dealer Program, which has partnered with RFD TV to make this happen. Patrick, welcome into Fast Fast Track. Brent, thank you for having us. Appreciate the time. So to set the table for this discussion, a few months back we had on the program Lyle Orwig who told us a bit about the Certified Agriculture Dealership Program in AgPAC. But for those who may have missed that discussion, can you give us an update on what that program looks like today? You bet. So the Certified Agriculture Dealership Program continues charging forward by working with Graham Agriculture Dealerships across the country. In, in short form, to be an agriculture dealership, they have to go through training, proprietary training that we've created. We're all farmers, ranchers, and, and agribusiness professionals, lifelong. Uh, my family still farms in Northwest Iowa, and, and obviously uh, I'm still involved with that, as well as uh, working with programs like certified agriculture dealerships. But they have to go through this training that we designed so that we actually have agricultural advocates out in the field at all of these dealerships, in addition to having the dealership that knows and understands the agricultural customer. Once they become an agriculture dealership, they can offer AgPAC to their customers. AgPAC is this really unique collaboration of some of the top agricultural corporations in the world that put their product alongside that Ram truck. So when the customer buys that Ram truck, they get AgPAC with it, and it's per truck, not per visit to the store or per purchase, it's per truck. And they get this bundle of benefits that they can't get anywhere else from these companies. And when we look back at 2019, uh, we, we did a, a quick look at, at all of the redemptions that came through, and, and we were just north of $10,000 that we were saving the, the average farm and ranch customer in the purchase of a truck. And we call that a return on investment because these are the kind of things that farms and ranchers have to buy anyway to operate, uh, whether it's uh, fencing uh, for, for livestock or, or animal identification systems to tires from Michelin. Our fencing partner is Gallagher. Uh, you know, if you used all of the, the rebates that are available through AgBank from Michelin, you're saving your farm over five grand in, in farm rubber. So we've got all these things. We call that a return on investment. And there's nobody else out there that can do that when you buy a truck, which we all know how important trucks are to the farm and ranch. So we're actually putting out there a return on that truck investment by saving you money that you have to spend otherwise. All you got to do is find an agriculture dealership. 
So Ag Rally is going to be held Wednesday, September 23rd in a four-hour window from noon to 4 p.m. Eastern and will feature senior executives from each AgPAC partner uh, discussing important issues such as emerging technologies and innovations. And they're going to take questions from farmers and ranchers from across the country who want to ask about new products, best practices, and trending issues. So how did this whole idea uh, of this uh, farm show uh, via TV and via streaming come together. It's really interesting, Brent. You know, we're 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 not uh, prophetic at all, but sometimes things just work out, right? And five years ago, we had actually bounced around the idea of doing a national agriculture event that would manifest itself physically at hundreds of micro events around the country, and those micro events would be our agriculture dealerships. And at the time, it seemed like a cool idea, but uh, but it was one of those where it was like, yeah, cool idea, what's next on the agenda? And we kind of blew past it. Now with COVID being out there, having created the, the situation that it has for all of our, our excellent live farm shows that we all love attending, uh, and, and, and the cancellation of those shows, all of a sudden this idea that we had five years ago seemed very relevant. And so as we started picking this around, uh, and, and as those those traditional farm shows were forced to, to close this year because of COVID, we started kicking this around and we said, what can we do with this idea to fill the void? And, and we also recognized right up front too, Brent, that part of the void is the social component to this. Live events are always going to have a place for us in agriculture. We're very hands-on. We, we want to see the, the results in the field. We want to be able to put our hands on the product, the new product. We want to talk with these factory representatives that are available at these shows because we're analysts. We study all of this. It's important to our farms and ranches. So we knew that the live component was still really, really important to what we do. We also recognized that our model could address that live component and be fluid. It could adjust to state and local COVID regulations by being local at every physical manifestation of the event, right? So what we've got is we've got this event now. We've got a four-hour block. It's going to be very fast-paced. It's going to be very informative. Uh, we, we liken it to Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, <laughs> if you're old enough to remember that, right? Sure. Where you had Camera Central in, in Times Square, and then they had all these remote cameras all over the world that fed in. That's the model that we're going to use for our event. Only our event central is going to be at the RFD TV studios in Fort Worth, Texas. And we're going to have about 20 remote cameras all over the country at live locations that are going to feed into the event. And, and everybody's going to be able to participate uh, through that. So what we've got is we've got the live element where we're activating this at Ram Agriculture dealerships that can and are willing to host a larger crowd. And, and, and that's the fluidity of this, right? That's where we can adjust our national event based on local conditions and circumstances. But we're also going to stream the event uh, through the RFD TV Now app. And we're going to be broadcasting live on RFD TV and the Cowboy Channel for the, four, the, the full four-hour block. So no matter where you're at, what you're doing, uh, or, or what demands there might be on and off on your time during that, uh, we're going to be able to provide a format, a platform, where everybody can participate in Ag Rally. So if folks are interested in participating in person at a Ram Ag dealership, how can they find out if their local dealership is going to be one that will be participating in the event? 
best thing to do is is because it is fluid and and so as covid rules and regulations change we have dealerships that uh, were not able to participate and now are able to participate or vice versa the best thing to do is to contact your nearest ag dealership and, and you can do that by going to ramagdealer.com and there is a search engine on there uh, where you can you can punch in your zip code and find your nearest ag dealer give them a call find out if they're going to be hosting this event locally uh, and uh, and that's going to be uh, the, the most immediate way to find out we keep track of it but but the list changes literally uh, every day Brent. so i understand that like at all good in-person farm shows some of your ag pack partners are also going to be unveiling new products at the show uh, they will. Uh, actually, we've we've got a couple of partners that will be uh, putting some new product out there using this event to launch their new product. They were planning on doing it at the big farm shows this year, uh, with press events and whatnot. And, and obviously, with those circumstances changing, they were looking for an alternative way to do that. They're going to use this event to do it. And, and another really cool thing that we're going to have affiliated with this, too, because remember I mentioned one of the things we love doing is interacting with the factory reps that are at those farm shows. There's actually going to be a Q&A component built into this. Uh, so folks are going to be able to, from the field, whether they're at one of the dealerships or in, in the, the cab of a combine uh, or, or the cab of a truck, uh, they're going to be able to submit questions for the senior leadership, the CEOs and such uh, that, uh, that we'll have during Ag Rally. They'll be able to ask about the new products that have been launched. They'll be able to ask in real time about uh, the emerging technologies or uh, or if they've got questions about the ag economy and general land values. Ag Direct uh, uh, is, uh, is one of our AgPAC partners and uh, Farm Credit Services of America. So there's going to be an opportunity for real-time Q&A uh, through Ag Rally as well. Uh, lots of, lots of, again, very fast-paced, very exciting uh, new product announcements, uh, uh, emerging technology discussions, all kinds of things happening uh, in a very quick-paced uh, environment. And it bears mentioning that some of the AgPAC partners who are going to participate in the show include Ag Direct, powered by Farm Credit, Michelin and BF Goodrich, Rhino Ag, Dixie Chopper Mowers, Viasat Internet, AgriEdge Farm Management System, AgroLiquid Crop Nutrition, Ranky Irrigation, Gallagher Livestock Equipment, EB Trailers, Precision Reach Digital Marketing, and Farm Market ID Agricultural Data. And if folks can't watch the live broadcast, I understand you're also going to archive each of the segments online so viewers can go back and watch at their leisure. Indeed. We're going to have an online library that we will announce uh, uh, leading up to the event where if you're not able to make this or if you hear something and you, you want to make sure you heard it right afterwards, we're going to have an online library where everybody can log in and pick out whatever piece of the event. You don't have to listen to the full four hours to get to what you're interested in. You can pick the piece of the event that you really want to focus on, pull that up and, and watch or listen to it uh, all on your own at your own pace. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention too is you, you covered the AgPAC partners and obviously this doesn't happen without those partners. Uh, very appreciative for everything that they bring to the whole AgPAC program and process. But we're also going to have some dealer cutaways where we've got leaders from various agricultural commodity groups, uh, from, from cotton to pecans to corn, cattle, hogs. Uh, we're going to have national agriculture leadership that uh, will also be doing some cameo and guest appearances throughout this to talk about what's going on in their part of the agricultural economy, what's going on with their growers. Uh, so we've we've got a real uh, a real uh, uh, 
commodity-specific feel to it as well. We don't want anybody to feel that uh, that we've overlooked their part of the ag sector. So very, very rich program there. And if folks want to know more information about it between now and then, where can they go to learn more? I would say go to agrally.com, A-G-R-A-L-L-Y.com. And while you're there, you can also uh, register to participate in, in the live local events. So make sure you go check that out. And Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. We can't wait to check out what you put together there, and we wish you the best of luck with it. Brent, we appreciate your time and look forward to interacting with folks in a little different way this year, but hopefully one that they find pleasant and enjoyable. Well, next up this week on the program, we want to welcome in Kurt Blades, the Senior Vice President for Agricultural Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt is responsible for the strategic direction of agriculture programs and services for AEM and serves as the primary liaison with ag-specific industry organizations, customer groups, and government agencies around the world. Kurt, welcome into Fastline Fast Track. Thanks for having me on, Brent. So 2020, huh? What more can be said about it that hasn't been said already? Oh, I'm tired of it ready to move on. <laughs> and it's had such a, such a huge impact on so many sectors. And we're talking about a sector here today in agricultural equipment manufacturing that's had to find a way to soldier on over the past few months, despite all the challenges. Yeah. Yeah, surprisingly, and you know, AEM, for those of you that are not aware, AEM Association of Equipment Manufacturers, we represent five sectors, ag construction, mining, forestry, and utility. The ag sector, surprisingly, has actually been in quite well despite everything else that's going on from an equipment sales standpoint uh, this year. Uh, you know, we started off the year thinking that 20 was going to be a whole lot better than 19 because 19 was you know, a little bit painful on the ag front and had a lot of optimism. And then we turned the corner and bam, you know, coronavirus hits. And uh, uh, what has happened, though, is that the tractor sales actually held on okay, uh, specifically small tractor sales. So our members are... You know, they're struggling out there because they're trying to figure out how to deal like everyone trying to deal with the current market situation, current pandemic. But tell you what, um, farmers are resilient and equipment manufacturers are resilient. So we're figuring out what to do to, to make the, the business the best we can possibly can. Well, you talk about those sales for just a moment here. Just a quick rundown for those who, who have not had a chance to see them. Farm tractor sales as a whole are up 14 percent uh, over the year earlier period, while combine sales are up 4.1 percent. So. Uh, through all this, still some cause for optimism here. You know, there is, there is. Now, again, those, you know, Brent, those are those are total numbers, so that's representing mm -hmm. the entire market, uh, and and uh, that includes a whole lot of tractors that are under 40 horsepower, a lot of tractors that are 40 to 100 horsepower. As you know, not all of those are going to be used on the farm, uh, as as uh, like many of us when we're kind of stuck at home and and uh, working on our working on our homes and and quarantined at home. Been a lot of small tractors have been sold specifically related to those those uh, suburban landowners uh but on the flip side some of those row crop tractors where we saw some softness in you know right uh, during a prime selling season of march we've actually seen some of those numbers turn around and and not you know actually be pretty decent uh combines you know we're we're still up for combines for the year at about four percent in the month of july we were up 30 percent. so those are pretty nice numbers despite everything that's going on. I mean, we were obviously hoping for a lot more, but I'll tell you what, you know, all things considered, these are these are okay things. Uh, what it points to though, is that, you know, farmers are resilient and farmers are in this business for the long haul. And at some point it's time to replace your equipment, whether it's this year or next year, 
to figure out a way to make it work. And that's what farmers have been doing for all of their all of their lives. And most of these farmers are multi-generations. So they've been dealing with it for years and years. Yeah. Well, it looked like uh, uh, you talked about the row crop tractors. Really about the only softness uh, that we still saw was in the uh, four-wheel drive tractor segment. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a fairly small uh, portion of the, over the overall picture. Yeah, the percentage of uh, articulated four-wheel drive tractors is down. It's down quite a little bit. I mean, we're down. We were down about twelve percent for the year. Uh, that's not. That's not awesome. But it also doesn't represent a huge number. So fortunately, it doesn't represent a huge number. The other thing that does come into consideration there is a lot of those uh, articulated four-wheel drive tractors are sold to contractors for uh, construction. So when that market is actually having some real softness right now because of the uncertainties of what what uh, government funding is going to look like you know i guess that kind of goes without saying that you would expect that to be down just a little bit well how has the aem worked uh, to support its members throughout the pandemic well i'll tell you the first thing we did you know very early on uh was we were you know critically you know lobbying with uh with our with our friends in dc and in various states to make sure that uh, you know the ag industry the food system was considered critical. That happened immediately, and that that made all of the difference in the world for the food production. But what we took it one step further and said that the food chain includes equipment manufacturing and distrib- distribution and dealers and parts. Because what we quickly recognized is that this pandemic was hitting in March. Uh, uh, and that's a critical time for farmers to be in the field to get their crops, you know, they need to make sure that their plant their planters are operating, the tractors are operating. So we we're quick to get to the market to talk to them about, you know, making sure that the dealers, manufacturers are part of that part of that uh, supply chain. In fact, uh, Secretary Purdue made a specific declaration mentioning equipment manufacturers as part of this, because you know the last thing you need is a farmer to be, you know, out in the field and recognizing that this this short planting window and he can't get his tractor service. That's a problem because the parts wouldn't be available. Fortunately, we jumped in front of that and that happened. The other thing that's been pretty interesting is I look at our members and the, com- the things that they've been doing with their dealers and the dealers have been doing directly to farmers, communicating on, you know, uh, just like we are virtually or, or finding ways to do remote service. That's pretty fascinating to see what's happened. In fact, I think if there is a positive to come out of this pandemic, it's that we've recognized that there's some tools that have been available to us in the ag industry that we've not really taken advantage of like some of the other industries have. I think that's gonna fundamentally change the way farmers interact with their dealers, with manufacturers. And that's going to overall, I think, improve the level of service across the board. So that's kind of a good thing. Well, one thing that seems pretty certain at this point is that the virus won't know when we flip the calendar over to 2021. And, you know, yesterday, uh, AEM announced that its board of directors gathered virtually earlier this month to discuss Mm -hmm. thoughts and guidance on the economic outlook for 2021 and on priorities uh, for AEM to focus on in the coming year. What came out of that discussion? Well, AEM, you know, we're 125 years old. We've, We've done... We've seen some really good things. We've seen some great years. We've seen some tough years. This is one of those tough years where we just sort of roll up our sleeves and, and get the work done. And what we recognize, uh, and you know, when our board members sort of helped us to prioritize, you know, when, when, you know, when we're looking at potentially being down in revenue, we're looking at being down in sales across, the, across all of the sectors, when we're looking at some of our primary functions, which include working with those legislators and regulators, not being able to do that the way we want to do it, 
we have to really tighten our belt and look at the priorities. Well, that, that being the case, what we've got to recognize is that we've got some really important things to do. First and foremost is to make sure that everybody out there that's operating our equipment goes home at night to their loved ones. So that engineering work, that safety work, that regulatory work specifically around safety, that's not going away. In fact, we're finding unique ways to continue to have those conversations to make sure that when the farmers operate in the tractor, that they re return home safely to their loved ones. So that's number one. The other thing that we begin to work on, this is really critically important for our strategic plan, is to recognize the industries that we serve people are pretty are getting further and further uh, away from them so you know i'm a i'm a farm kid from missouri my but you know I, i'm only one generation removed but there are folks that are making decisions that are multiple generations removed from the farm and they don't quite understand the passion that goes into a farmer that is you know tilling that land for you know their entire life and recognizing how important soil health is to them how important it is for them to take care of that land. So they're making some well-intended, but probably wrong-headed decisions uh, about uh, what farmers should do with their production practices. So our members have, have really worked behind us and stood behind us as we begin to tell the story of agriculture in a much more positive light. But even more so recognizing there's some really cool technology out there. You guys at Fastline know this. There's some really cool technology out there that, you know, helps farmers make a whole lot more money because they're more efficient, do things smarter and faster and, and uh, more efficiently, but also have a pretty dramatic impact on society. So when you do more with less input, that's a good thing for the farmer. That's a pretty good thing for the environment as well. So we're working pretty closely with our members to help tell that story to make sure that our farmers, our, mem our members and their customers continue can continue to farm in a very responsible way for here and into the future. Well, the board uh, voted to shift the three-year implementation of its strategic plan uh, for 20 to 22, to four years to 20 to 23, and then deferred some initiatives and investments. But one of the things that you, you've get, uh, decided to press on with uh, is initiatives aimed at identifying new business development and revenue creation. Some of those include ideas for new fee-based services, and also uh, you noted better use of statistical data, including data uh, for, from machines. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Well, you know, here's here's just sort of the way you know we as a as a nonprofit organization, our revenue is based largely on dues, and it's also based on on trade shows. Uh, trade shows. Uh, are probably not going to happen for the next little bit. So we need to find ways for us to bring some, you know, uh, uh, resources into our organization so we can do this work on behalf of the industry. So we talk about diversifying our revenue streams. There's lots of things that we're trying to take a look at. And you talk about the data. I mean, we take incredibly seriously how how the privacy of the data and the ownership of the data. We know that it, it belongs to the farmer. It belongs to the end user. That's that. That uh, that argument's been been long argued and it's been long decided. However, what we do recognize is that there are some some things that we can all begin to do as an industry to take a look at 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 those pieces that are available to help uh, um, you know inform uh, folks that are maybe looking looking to uh, to be in the market to uh, uh, you know maybe look at look at uh, uh, commodity markets or maybe look at uh, overall stock prices or things like that if we can take a look at some of that information that we have at the much higher level the aggregated level 
and perhaps turn that into um, you know a way to generate industry industry resources and maybe that's something that we're going to take a look at we'll also say that we're going to take a very strong look at um, you know how uh, farmers dealers and manufacturers uh, interact with each other as I mentioned before this pandemic has operate as as uh, provided opportunities for farmers to, to talk virtually in ways that we never thought that they would do. It seems as if that is only going to continue. And I would think that, uh, you know, we as, as the manufacturer's representatives want to make sure that we're getting that message out there in the way that makes sense. And perhaps there's a way for that to bring some additional resources into the industry as well. So the board also approved a five-year plan to significantly expand the reach and effectiveness of the AEM state advocacy efforts, mm -hmm. which I imagine is all the more important uh, given the fact that so much is being dictated at the state level during this pandemic. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of consistency among the states, which I, I would imagine uh, poses some big challenges for folks who are operating in more than one state and dealing with just myriad regulations. Well, I mean, it, we used to always kind of work uh, globally on standards and recognize that you know you you sort of build a standard to the you know if you can if you can meet a standard in you know XYZ country that has that is known for something being particularly difficult you build that standard and it sort of works around the world what we found in the last few years certainly the regulatory work around the uh, globe hasn't slowed down at all it's stepped up, but at the states, it's also stepped up quite a little bit. But we found that you know states like California, states like Washington, provinces like uh, British Columbia are really sort of um, stepping in front of the federal level of of regulation, and it and it is uh, you know kind of dictating what those standards end up being. And again, as I mentioned before, a lot of these people are well intended, but maybe ill informed. So we feel it's kind of our job to help educate folks to recognize that. Sometimes regulation is not the best solution. Maybe there's a technology solution, or in many cases, we've already got it covered. We just haven't released a product yet because it's not quite been approved yet. So we want to help get that message out to the state level, and we recognize that that's where a lot of the action is. I mean, politics is always local, and usually when there's a state issue that bubbles up, when there's any sort of regulatory issue that pops up, it's usually because there was some sort of um, local issue. Maybe it was a local disaster. Maybe it was a local accident that all of a sudden caught someone's attention that happened to, to, to spur a grassroots uh, uh, initiative. We want to make sure that we're in place to help educate folks that, you know, they're obviously we don't, we want to make sure that that grassroots politics continues. We want to be in a position to um, help inform those folks that are making those decisions. So it's for the good of the industry, it's for the good of agriculture, it's for the good of our members on the manufacturing front. So as we move on through the back half of 2020, what are some of the other pressing issues that are on the minds of agricultural uh, manufacturers right now? Well, I'll tell you, as I mentioned, the calendar, the virus isn't going to know when we turn the calendar. So it's like, we're all saying we're ready to get rid of 20. We are. Um, yeah. Hopefully 21 is going to be better. But on the flip side, one of the things that, that again, we learned uh, early on, as you think of looking at the, the tractor sales, you know, for about two weeks, we lost two weeks of, of equipment sales because the economy just shut down. That had pretty major disruption to the supply chain. So what our members are really taking a look at now, and they have been since March, and really taking a look at moving forward, is their entire supply chain and, and recognizing, you know, there's some things that, 
know, we have an incredibly efficient food system, but it's also got some fragility to it. And we had to recognize that some of those things that were a little bit fragile, maybe it was some of the just-in-time things that we had put in place, or maybe it was other, other sourcing pieces that we had put into place because it made a whole lot of sense. Maybe we have to take a revisit of those and recognize that we've got to, we've got to have the right supply chain in place. We've got to have all of those things in, in, in place to make sure that we're uh, capable of, of manufacturing in the long term. So for the next half of the year, obviously, there's going to be a continuation of that. Everyone is looking anxiously at the election. Um, you know, regardless of how it turns out, there's going to be a change. There's going to be if there's a change at the at the uh, the presidential level, you know, that's that will have implications. If there's a change at the at the House level, which there likely will end up being, you know, some people will come in, some people will go. We'll know there'll be changes there. We know that there'll be some changes at the senatorial level. That's going to have an impact on a lot of the things that affect the industries that we work in. The other things that is really pointed up and why it's critical for your listeners that are that are uh, you know tied to the farm can understand is that um, you know the the um, the pandemic shined a pretty bright light on our food system, shined a pretty bright light on those vulnerabilities. So I. I just can't help but think that there's going to be a lot of attention played by the next Congress on shoring up that food system. But we need to make sure as farmers, as folks in the ag industry, is that our voice is heard and that, that all of these decisions that are made are going to allow us to continue to operate in ways that make sense for our businesses. Well, and one of the things that came out here recently was the USDA's innovation uh, uh, plan here. What, what are some of the things that you guys are watching uh, with that? And what would you like to see become uh, of that plan? Well, that innovation plan is pretty interesting. Um, you know, our members were pretty uh, excited about participating because it gives us a chance to sort of, you know, throw the throw the script out and say, what's it going to look like? I mean, whenever you talk about anything that has to do with autonomy, and data and really tight precision, I think it's really exciting. I mean, the, 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 you know, I've, I've been in this business for 25 years and it looks incredibly different than it did when I started in the, in the 90s. And I can only imagine how much different it's going to look you know, in the next 25 years, especially when we see the rapid adoption of autonomy, see the rapid, rapid adoption of, of data. I mean, think about this from a machine standpoint, how much of the weight of a machine is, is there specifically to support the size of a machine? So when you eliminate the size of the machine, the need for it to be really big because it can run autonomously, all of a sudden the whole world changes. So we look at that innovation dialogue. We have some very specific things that we wanted to take a look at, but they're all around making sure that we have the freedom for this innovation to happen. That Farmers are that our manufacturers are given the ability to provide the best tools they possibly can to farmers to provide the most efficient operations they possibly can. We want to make sure that there's rural access to broadband. We want to make sure that that, that compatibility is happening around the globe so that that uh, you know good machines and farmers can choose the best possible choices that they can. So those are those are kind of kind of the fundamental things that we take a look at. But the one thing, the one, one underlying principle that comes through in our submission to the, uh, um, uh, the innovation dialogues, as well as many of the other associations have put forward comments, there's always this thread of the triple bottom line. We want good economics, 
We want, you know, we want uh, uh, good things for uh, uh, the stakeholders, and we want to make sure that society benefits as well. And that's a fundamental change that I've seen in my lifetime working in the ag industry. We've always been good stewards of the land. We've always been good stewards of the environment, but we're recognizing we've done a pretty bad job of communicating that. And so in all the innovation piece that I've been looking at uh, from ours, from AEMs and everyone else's, all has this thread throughout there that it can't just be deliver something that has economic benefit. It's got to have societal benefit as well. That's pretty exciting because it's not a trade-off. It's adding both of them together. And ultimately that creates a really good, cool products. Well, I tell you what, I want to uh, shift gears here and touch briefly on something that AEM is working on with a mutual partner of ours, uh, Iron Solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, recently announced you created uh, the Iron Monthly Index, which is available yeah. to AEM members. And it measures uh, for one to five year old equipment, the trends in used agriculture equipment. Uh, values against the trends in the average age of used equipment sold within three major categories. So uh, ho hopeful folks will go check that out. Yeah. Or, you know, our friends at Iron Switch, they're great, they're great folks. Uh, you know, we've I've actually known known several of those people for uh, for a good chunk of my career. Uh, really enjoy working with them. And as you know, we've done this flash report. We talked about that early on. Uh, we've done this tractor and combine report for several years. And that's a valuable tool for the industry and a valuable tool for for the public to kind of get a good indication of what's happening in the market. What we recognized what was sorely missed from that was that used piece. As any farmer knows, the used equipment market is so important to the new equipment market. And if you just look at new sales, you don't get the full picture. So what we wanted to do is create a way to, to begin to marry those things up, to take a look at, you know, the iron index takes a look at, at, uh, at, at used prices, which is pretty interesting because you can say if, you know, if prices are going up and down, that's going to that's going to influence, you know, whether a farmer wants to buy new equipment, whether their overall balance sheet can support additional financing, maybe for inputs or for additional capital investment. Those are really important things for us to take a look at. So we're really excited about including that in. We just started it. And boy, the, the reaction has been positive and really looking forward to integrating that into the, uh, the rest of the suite of data pieces that we make available both to members as well as to the public. So when we can have conversations like uh, like this with you, Brent, we can deliver really good, solid information. Uh, you know, that, that's telling a story, not just not just anecdotes, but actually putting some facts behind it. Well, we certainly hope AEM members will go and check that out and then get on fastline.com and buy and sell that equipment. And uh, yeah. while you're on there, also uh, make sure you go check out the our equipment locator with the price comparison tool, which mm -hmm. is featuring the iron average powered by our friends at Iron Solutions. So so many tools out there to be able to uh, kind of gauge the worth of that equipment uh, as you start to make those decisions. You bet. You bet. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, but you're, you're right. I, I appreciate the plug for, uh, for, uh, for Fastline, obviously, but I appreciate the plug is recognize that I was a farm kid. I would always love just thumbing through the pages and, and it's a pretty good indication of, of, uh, of what prices are. Well, it's, you know, technology has made it a whole lot easier than just have to do those calculations in your head. So those tools that you make available are pretty valuable to a farmer, pretty valuable to a dealer, and actually pretty valuable to the industry in general to, to begin to look at what prices are going to be. So I, 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 I applaud the plug you made there. <laughs> we're, we're all in this together here. And uh, I, I tell you what, the spirit of cooperation, I think is what's uh, going to make this industry stronger through all this. And 
With that said, you guys have a couple of big events coming up, uh, one being the virtual Washington fly-in, which is going to be held September 22nd and 23rd. I understand you have to supply your own mini pretzels and biscotti for that flight, but uh, uh, you guys have all the rest of the details ironed out, huh? What can folks expect there? Well, you know, we've had a fly-in for the last few years, and it's been wildly successful. Um, I mean, we participate in lots of fly-ins in D.C., but the one that AEM does specifically, you know, we find our niche where we bring in executives, equipment executives, to talk with their elected officials on on our kind of our key issues. You know, this year everything is going virtual, so that that creates some unique opportunities and some unique challenges. But what you know, what we're finding right now in a in a um, in election year. We've got lots of folks that are quite interested in the topics that matter most to us. The topic that uh, you've probably seen some news on is, uh, you know, we've, we have uh, put our toe in the sand saying that the 2020 election is the manufacturing election. We believe very strongly that U.S. jobs uh, are, the, are the backbone of society and U.S. manufacturing jobs are the backbone of society. Now, I've got a thousand members. Every single one of them is hiring. Every single one of them would love to produce all of their equipment here in the United States. But sometimes it becomes very difficult, either from a regulatory standpoint or from a job seeking standpoint. So our our town hall and our virtual uh, fly in is going to be focused very heavily on those issues that are important to us that support manufacturing. And that goes beyond just local politics that goes uh, stretches out to things like good tax policy. That includes things like good infrastructure, good roads to to uh, to feed equipment in and out of those uh, of of those uh, um, uh, uh, manufacturing facilities and distribution to, to other dealers. Uh, that includes rural broadband that allows you know say maybe some of these B, C, and D counties that have good manufacturing labor pools to to spring up with some additional manufacturing. So all of those things are part of our messaging that we're putting into the into the fly-in this year. Obviously, with an eye on the 2020 election, then moving moving forward into what next year is going to going to hold. You know, I think it's just going to be a fun time. Um, we're finding new ways to interact with policymakers. We find that the topics that AEM brings to bear are very important, and they are absolutely bipartisan. Can't find a single elected official that is worth their salt anyway that doesn't support U.S. jobs, U.S. manufacturing. So that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer bipartisan issue. It's really fun for us to have those conversations. There may be some disagreements on how they get to them, and we'll work through that. But at the core, everybody wants the U.S. manufacturing sector to succeed, as do we. We also want agriculture to succeed. We want construction to succeed. Those are sort of timeless things for us to talk about. So it makes it fun to have these conversations with the elected officials. Was also announced at the AEM conference, which had been slated for November 18th through the 20th in Napa, California, has now shifted to a virtual event. So I guess uh, bring your own wine for that one too, huh? Bring, bring your own wine for that one as well. That one was a that one personally was a bit of a blow uh, because I kind of enjoy a little bit of wine tasting. But uh, we'll you know we'll make we'll make do and we'll make the most of uh, of the meeting. I'll tell you, folks are ready to get back together, and we hope that we can do that soon. But that virtual, you know, moving the annual conference virtually, that, that's uh, that's not not fun. It's not not a decision we want to make, but it's one that we kind of feel like we have to because, you know, it, it becomes difficult to pull things off in a meaningful way. But when you look towards the next year, and if I put put words in your mouth, Brent, because the next couple of, of, uh, of things on the calendar as we turn 
uh, into 21 that we get really excited about are Commodity Classic uh, in March, and it's still planning to be held in person in San Antonio. We're making the plans right now. I serve personally on the on the, uh, the the management committee for Commodity Classic. Very excited about what that's going to look like, getting farmers together and trying to figure out how we navigate these these troubling waters and moving forward to showcase some of this good equipment. AEM's got another show that's happening around the same time, World of Asphalt, um, that that uh, is also looking at. Uh, you know, moving forward, full speed ahead. So very excited about that. And one thing that's probably not on your calendar yet is National Ag Day. National Ag Day is March 24th. And we are planning, I guess Brent, you're getting an exclusive here. We are planning to put farm equipment on the mall for National Ag Day this year. And what a cool way to talk to newly elected congressmen and senators about what agriculture is all about than to show them, you know, a big sprayer or a big combine or a big tractor and let them climb up in it and kick it around just a little bit so they can see this technology firsthand. We're really looking forward to that. So there's all kinds of things that we're looking forward to in 2021, uh, assuming we can do them face-to-face. And if we can't do them face-to-face, we'll figure out how to make the best out of it because these things that we're talking about are really important. They're really important to your listeners. They're really important to the ag industry in general. And I know all the manufacturers right now are trying to uh, uh, put the best foot forward and kind of scramble to pull stuff together here to to do these virtual farm shows. I know that mm-hmm. there's a couple going on as we speak and a, a few more here over the next few weeks. And uh, mm-hmm. we're we're just going to adapt the best we can with all those. And I, and I second your sentiments on, on Commodity Classic. Definitely one of my favorite uh, weeks of, of the entire calendar year. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, in our neighborhood before that, the National Farm Machinery Show, we're, we're, we're keeping an eye on to see where things are going there and having talks about that. But uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're just going to do the best we can with all of it. As we sit here right now uh, in the back half of 2020, looking ahead at 2021, what's the overall state of the agricultural manufacturing, uh, machine manufacturing industry looking like? Well, I mean, I think the, the numbers are good, as, I, as we said. The sales have been good, um, but the, the, there are storm clouds on the horizon. I mean, I think what we sort of recognize is that, you know, the V-shaped recovery that we've all sort of hoped for may not happen. And that, that's got a sobering effect. And as we talk about, you know, we started early on this conversation, Brent, talking about some belt tightening measures that we just kind of have to do. We're recognizing that you know, there's, we anticipate slowdowns. We anticipate slowdowns in sales across all of our sectors because the overall economy is, is not going to be as strong as, as we'd like for it to be. Or maybe, the, you know, depending on how soon this thing turns around, it, it might, you know, we don't know. And I guess that's where, that's where the concern is. So I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I really want to be optimistic, but also want to have a bit of realism that is, as things continue on, we're finding ways to adjust. But at some point we got to get back to normalcy. At some point we got to get, you know, we got to get the economy back rolling again. We got to get some of these challenges figured out, or it's going to have some some big effects on the entire industry. Ag happens to operate entire in that entire industry as well. I mean, the good news is people got to eat. People got to eat. People got to drive. People got to wear clothes. At the heart of our business, that's what we do. We feed people. We fuel people. We provide clothing for people. Um, those things aren't going to go away. It may look a little bit different how we do it. Those things aren't going to go away. 
So I'm pretty happy to be in the industry. And obviously, I'm going to continue to be optimistic. But my heart does go out for those farmers that are seeing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in Des Moines, Iowa, and we had you know, an inland hurricane. Who would have thought um, with, you know, 10 million acres of corn crop on the ground? I've seen it firsthand. It's it's heartbreaking. Um, so that's that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt the industry. That hurts that hurts the farmer's psyche. You don't want that to happen. We also know the farmers are pretty resilient. These things, these things too, will pass. And I saw some good news today about China purchasing a little bit more corn. We know that trade negotiations continue to go on, and sometimes there's good news, sometimes there's not so great news. I overall become optimistic that it all, it's all going to work out well because we're in a noble profession. Now, my members kind of feel the same way. They wouldn't have chose to be involved in agriculture if they didn't feel like this is important. And yeah, there's going to be some good new good roads ahead. There's going to be some tough roads ahead. Overall, you know, we, we got to look to the future with with a positive light. And when you put the technology into it, when you put some of the cool innovation that's on you know on the forefront or or sitting on the shelf getting ready to be released, it gets really exciting. Yeah. And I just can't wait for uh, for us to be face to face and show some of these new technologies for the first time to farmers in 21 that I think your minds are going to continue to be blown. And that becomes really exciting. Well, I tell you what, if, if folks want to keep on top of everything that's being done by the AEM, where can they go to do that? Well, the best place to reach us is uh, AEM.org, our website. Uh, there's all kinds of information that we make available to the public, uh, as well as if you're a member, there's a whole truckload of information behind, behind the member wall. Uh, but also continue to look out for our press releases and look out for our information. You know, as a good trade association, we're not trying to be front and center. We're just trying to do good work under the surface. And hopefully that good work is, is being recognized and hopefully it's making a difference at the farm level. But I would encourage folks to check out AEM.org to learn a little bit more about the things that AEM is doing. And I can attest to the fact that that uh, website is a treasure trove of information for anybody who cares anything about uh, agricultural manufacturing or any kind of manufacturing of equipment. Uh, they, they do a great job of of putting that out there and, and giving context. So we appreciate that. And Kurt, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And hope you'll come back uh, later this year or early next to kind of wrap up 2020 and, and give us kind of an outlook for 21. Sounds good. I certainly would look forward to do that, Brent. It's been a good conversation. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time to check in with our buddy, the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax, for another installment of Bushels and Cents. We really hope you're enjoying this new feature and that you'll go check out all his content at farmmachinerydigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. The pump that feeds the booms on your self-propelled sprayer is acting up, and you determine that it needs to be replaced. The new unit is $1,400. You install it and all works fine for a while, and the same problem comes back. You did not take the old one apart to see what was wrong. The dealer tells you that the new pump destroyed itself due to cavitation. No warranty. You buy another new pump and find the collapsing suction hose. 
you spent $2,800 for two new pumps or just threw away in value 800 bushels of corn by not taking it apart before replacing it. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. Well, next up on the program, we welcome in one of the brightest rising stars in country music today, Taylor Hope. She has a voice that's well beyond her years, and that's helped her catch the attention of many of country music's legendary figures. In a bit, you're going to see what I mean. Taylor, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, and you're too kind. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, this one's exciting for me because for over the past year, maybe the past couple of years, I've been seeing your name popping up all over, and you're consistently making big moves to uh just boost your career Aww, congratulations you. on that so much i'm working hard and loving what i'm doing so thank you i appreciate it <laughs> so you were named one of the 20 artists to watch in 2020 by women of country and just prior to the pandemic you were part of the gift of country music concert at nashville's ryman auditorium where you performed alongside a lot of the legends like dolly parton who we're going to talk about in just a moment also lee greenwood lone star colin ray T.G. Shepard, and some of the upcoming artists like Abby Anderson and Drew Baldridge. What, what, what has that whole experience been like for you? It was so incredible. I got to do that back in January, of course, before the pandemic hit and everything really changed for all artists and all genres, I guess, in Nashville just got shut down and all artists were putting their houses to do and spread what they love to do in the world virtually. So it's very different. And um, it was just one of my, I guess, closest memories before quarantine and this year. Um, but it was so awesome. It was in January at the rhyme and I got to open up for Dolly and um, Abby Anderson, so many people in Greenwood, Drew Balbridge, like you said, just um, so many incredible people I've always looked up to, especially Dolly. It was so awesome to be on the stage right before her. So just a night I'll never forget since I was little, I've dreamed of performing on the Opry stage and getting to sing on the rhyme. And it was cool. I got to sing an original song I wrote with my friend Lizanne Hill that meant a lot to me on that stage and I'll just never forget it it was a moment that just you know just stuck in me and just made me want to work harder for what I wanted to do in my life and just a dream come true so it was just incredible <laughs> you've also opened shows for for the likes of Shenandoah Susie Bogus, Adam Crabb and Ned Ledoux and a guy that's been on this program before T Graham Brown first of all how did you find yourself in such elite company and what has that whole uh, journey been like for you it's just been so awesome. I've gotten to do so many cool things at a young age um, with my music and what I've always loved to do. I grew up singing in church when I was four and um, just started really young, started traveling, playing guitar when I was eight and um, just started, you know, it just really started just evolving and um, just becoming more and more of just me loving it and just you know it just becoming the biggest part of me so yes it's just been such an incredible journey we moved to nashville when i was around i guess i just turned about 12 i'm 15 now so and we've been here about three years i'm from boone um around boone north carolina it's called west jefferson north carolina in the beautiful mountains down there and that's always going to be my home and where i'm from but i just love nashville it's just i think where i'm meant to um, be right now and where I'm meant to, you know, do what I love, but that's always going to be home, but it's just been so awesome. And like you said, opening up for some of those people around the country and stuff, I would love to go international sometime. We've talked about that with my team, maybe in the next couple of years, that would be awesome. I've always wanted to go overseas and tour with my music. So yeah, just, it's just been an amazing journey and God's blessed me with so many things. So, um, I just love what I do and I'm, I'm just going to keep at it and work hard with it. So <laughs> 
So we mentioned Dolly earlier. I understand she's one of your musical heroes, and you actually performed shows at her Dream More Resort in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And a lot of your music, including your new project, uh, which is your third album, was produced by Kent Wells, who's produced a lot of Dolly's stuff and also has served as her band leader. H how did you connect with Kent? It's just so awesome. Um, mine and Kent's story, I guess. I was 11 when I started working with Kent. Um, I had to go in an audition and do all this um, stuff for that. And then he's just kind of like family to us now. We've been working with him, I guess, for four years. So, um, yeah, he's worked with Dolly for several years. Such an incredible player and producer. He can play anything and sing anything and just can tell you stories from so many, so many different, you know, artists and what he's seen in the industry. It's just so awesome. And I'm blessed to be able to work with Kent and he's, he's very incredible and just, just an, um, a big mentor to me. So yeah, he's awesome. And um, it's just been a blessing for sure because um, I've just learned so much and I'm still um, learning new things every day in Nashville and by so many writers I've worked with too. So yeah, Kent's a big inspiration for me in the industry. So he's he's great. Yeah, we love Kent. <laughs> now I've seen uh, pictures floating around out there with you, with Dolly Parton. Uh, what was it like to meet her and and did she give you any kind of career advice or, or shared anything with you that you can uh, kind of tuck under your wing and use? She, um, I actually got to meet Dolly in Greensboro when she was on her Pure and Simple tour back, I guess, in around, I guess, around 2015-ish, 2016, and I got to go backstage and meet her um, with um, Kent and everybody, and that, I was just so, so just like, how can she be real? Because I've just always seen her everywhere. She's just been one of my biggest inspirations since I was little with just the singing and the songwriting and just giving back to people with what she's done. I've always just admired so much about Dolly and just the sweetest person as you could ever imagine. And um, just how you see her is what you get, kind of just what you see is what you get with Dolly. You can tell. And she's just so humble. And um, she called me Jolene um, when I'm, I've met her the past few times. So <laughs> Um, um, that's, I don't know if that's a good thing. Hopefully, it is. That's something I have with me that I'm I'm very proud of. So, um, but she she just seems just like she is just the sweetest, and she really is humble and is thankful for everything she's um, gotten to do with her career. And it's just been an amazing career and one um, everyone looks up to. I think in every music industry, she's just an icon. So just so amazing to meet her, and I hope to see her again soon. But she's just incredible. So. So take me back to where this all began for you. You talked about being from North Carolina, from Jefferson, North Carolina, down there in the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, in uh, Eric Church and Luke Combs country down that way. Yes, for sure. Yeah. A lot of people from down there um, in, um, you know, the industry and stuff, Randy Travis. I know a bunch mm -hmm. of people from North Carolina and um, just I'm, I'm very thankful to um, be where I'm from and just, you know, that's just my songs. You can hear a lot of that of where I'm from, where um, I came from and my family and just just pure country. So that's kind of what I stand for. And just, you know, country music and Luke and Eric are two of my biggest inspirations. And I just love their songwriting and um, they're just so awesome. So, yeah, um, I, I love where I'm from and my Nana and everybody and my whole family's actually down there. It's just me, my mom and dad here. So we're here and I'm living the dream. So, but we go back every couple months to see my family, but it's kind of like having two homes. So it's pretty cool that I get to have that and be able to go home and be a kid and then come here and just, you know, just, you know, do what I love and perform and stuff. So it's awesome. <laughs> do, do you guys have any ties to agriculture there in the family? 
Oh yeah, we do. My my papa, he um passed away. I guess it's it's been about a year ago next week, um, which is just crazy. He was one of the biggest people I've um my, one of my biggest inspirations in my family and he's just he was just such a great guy and just someone you wanted to be friends with. He knew the whole community and would talk to anybody and just tell the best stories and he just loved bluegrass music. He loved a lot. He loved the country too. He always wanted me to sing all the bluegrass stuff, so I still keep that in there for him. So um, but yes, he's he was um, a farmer. He did so many things with that. Um, um, my Nana still lives on that farm in um, North Carolina. It's a beautiful white house. And that's just my getaway. That's just where I go to write and just, you know, be me. And I actually got to learn to like drive a tractor this summer with my uncle. He kind of took over the farm and stuff. Um, my uncle Todd and my Nana grew up in that house and they were little, they didn't know anything else, but you know, the farm and that's just what I grew up on too. It's just a, a great family place to go, but it's beautiful. And I write a lot about places like that that are close to me. And um, it was just, um, just so cool to be able to be um, like kind of raised on a farm. I didn't live on a farm, but I was up there all the time. So I definitely um, relate to a lot of the, um, you know, agriculture and stuff. So yeah, but my papa was the best farmer you could ever meet. So yeah. I love it. So uh, you, you talk about being from that area and bluegrass, a lot of great pickers down that area. How much does that uh, play into your influences? I've grew up just, you know, playing um, gospel music, bluegrass music, and of course, country is just what I love the most. And um, it's just so awesome But um, that I've really um, gotten to figure out who I am as an artist while I'm moving to Nashville. I feel like the past couple of years, I've really been able to discover who I am because it takes a while once you get here to really discover what makes you different and what makes you stand out to everybody and just, um, you know, just really discover who you are and what who you want to be as an artist. So, yes, I I um, actually learned guitar from Steve Lewis. He's a national champion banjo player, um, um, guitar player down there in North Carolina. He's awesome. Um, he taught me so much, and he's just a great guy. And Wayne Henderson lives down there, too. My yeah. family, we're great friends. Yeah, um, wow. he's awesome. So, so many people up there I've kind of grown up talking to and getting to know. And um, I performed at Wayne's festivals and Merle Fest and all that. I love yeah. Merle Fest and everything down there. So it's it's really cool getting to go back home and still, um, you know, having fun with doing stuff like that. So, yeah, but country is just awesome down here in Nashville, too, just because there's more of that than you think there would be for sure. People come uh -huh. from everywhere with different backgrounds of country. So it's really cool that I think I have that in my background. And I, I love Allison Krauss and stuff like mm -hmm. that. She's been awesome, um, and you know, just every. I feel like she can sing anything. So, um, but yeah, just stuff like that. I also love. So it's kind of where I'm from. So, who were some of your other musical influences? I love '90s country. I love big voices in country music, such as you know Reba, Martina McBride, Trisha Yearwood. Some people like that. Um, Vince Gill's always been one of my biggest inspirations. Of course, Dolly, and just people like that. I've always looked up to. I love um, Keith Urban, just um, Eric Church, Luke Combs, as I said. Those are just some of the people I really look up to, like Trisha, Martina, and Dolly, Reba. Just women of country like that. I always I've looked up to and admired their voices and really just you know just been inspired so i love just their songs and their songwriting and just telling stories through songs is a big thing of mine i love doing that and really um touching people where people can relate to what you're singing and i think that's our jobs as you know artists and performers to um ha let people have a good time and let them to relate 
um, let them relate to what you're singing and saying. And so, yeah, I just think it's so awesome that they've really put that in their career. And I really look up to that. And I love just writing stories and singing big songs. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you talked about having the best of both worlds, being in North Carolina and also in Nashville. And, and since you've been in Nashville, I, I mean, we talk about this like you've been there for 20 years and you're only 15 years old, but uh, you've gotten to do so many legendary things. You've been on uh, WSM a number of times. You've been at the Texas Troubadour Theater, also the Bluebird Cafe, the Listening Room, the Nashville Palace, the Skirmerhorn, and on and on. I mean, does it ever seem surreal to you that, that you've gotten to do so much so early in your career? It really does. I've just always wanted to do some of those things. And of course, like um, I'm excited to see what's ahead with what I'm doing and what I'm working on and just the people I've gotten to meet. Nashville's really taken me in as a young artist as well. I've met so many writers and um, mentors when I got here that I'm I'm just, you know, great friends with and we write all the time and they really just, you know, again, help me, you know, figure out who I am as an artist and who I want to be and what, you know, just, you know, just music they really just inspired me so nashville's a great city and they're just they're just here to you know it's just I, my mom talks about it all the time that's just like my place and i feel like i've always wanted to be here and just i was always you know just wanted to you know go out to the city and just do big things with my life and just you know just just do what I love. So it's, it's really cool. And it is surreal sometimes to look back at pictures and stuff at where I started and um, just where I've gotten to be now and where I've gotten to perform. And it's just, I'm just so thankful. And it's just, it's a journey. You have to work hard for it, but um, you know, it's all deserving and it's, it's just so cool. Nashville is just one of the best places ever. So I love it. <laughs> well, before we go any further, let's hear one from Taylor Hope. This is country and me on fast line, fast track.
So you're mentioning before you, you're 15 now, but you put out your first EP, uh, What the World Needs, in 2014. That would have made you around nine. Is that is that? Yes, right? I was eight or nine when that came out. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so what was it like, that first experience going in the studio? It was so awesome. I recorded one um, for my hometown and my family um, called Under His Construction. I did a bunch of um, covers on that one. I guess I was around seven, but um, that's just us to have. And I think my hometown radio station still gets requests for that one, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's an older older album for me. It's crazy to go back and listen to the to that one. But what this world needs, uh, yes, um, I kind of started with that one, and that was my first kind of you know album in Nashville that I recorded. And um, Tommy Brandt, um, I did a lot with him in the um, Christian country industry when I was younger. So that was a fun album. And I started working with Kent um, after that in 2016, really showing my roots and started really getting into writing. I started when I was eight, um, started writing songs. And I'm with my mom, me and my mom wrote my first song on a snow day. And then I just really was like, wow, I just I love the writing, too. That's that's really cool that you can have that as a part and, you know, tell your stories through your voice. So I think that that's just so incredible and especially country music is just I feel like such a songwriting based industry and um just so awesome to be able to be a part of the songwriting as well but yeah and then um my Christmas album came out in 2017 with Ken I wrote a couple with my friend Corey Barker on there and a bunch of some of my favorite Christmas songs and that was so awesome to release and still one of my favorite albums I've ever gotten to do just Christmas is just the best to sing I just love doing that so and then last July in 2019 I released my self-titled album um with just kind of you know just saying who I am and I wrote with so many awesome writers on there Bridget Tatum, Mo Pitney, Bill DeLuigi of course, Melissa Rowe and Keith Burns and so many uh, Devin O'Day and amazing yeah. Yeah, radio hosts here in Nashville. Um, they just all have been huge inspirations to me. And um, that album I'm really proud of. But some more stuff's coming. My new single, which I'm going to play at the end of this, um, is coming out um, in the next few weeks. I'll be working out for that. Um, we wrote it not too long ago. But, yeah, my Christmas single came out um, this past um, Christmas, which was fun to wrap it up in you. And, of course, some more singles in there with those albums. But it's just been an awesome journey. And being able to record my music is such a fun experience and get it out there to more people. And um, on iTunes, Spotify, go check it all out under Taylor Hunt Music. All that is on there. So you guys can go check that out and listen. I would appreciate it. And let me know what you think. And, yeah, let's become friends on everything under Taylor Hunt Music. So, yeah, just so awesome in the studio with Kent and, um, just all the all the players are so awesome, and I'm getting to know them. It's just awesome, an awesome experience going in the studio in Nashville for sure. So it's a lot of fun. Well, I love connecting the dots. And a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, on the show, and we've had him on a, a few times, Bobby Tomberlin, who's yeah. got a cut on Mo Pitney's new album that just came out here uh, yeah, this week. He's an awesome guy and a great album for sure. I love Mo's music. So he's he's a great guy to wrote, write with. And we wrote Small, Small Town on there. And that's one of my favorites on the album, just just because, you know, we were both from small towns and um, people really related that one, related to that one. So I think I think it's it's a pretty cool song. So, yeah, Mo's great. He's such an awesome artist. Hey, of course, you, you mentioned Bridget Tatum. Uh, anybody familiar with the song She's Country, the Jason Aldean cut here? A few years back uh, was the, the writer on that song and also a part of Psy and the Psychotics. 
Uh, <laughs> everybody who remembers Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty fame, uh, he went out with a, a little uh, group touring, and uh, and she was part of that group. So a lot of fun and great songwriter. I know she's up for some awards right now here. Awesome. and. And just so great. And of course, uh, my pal Devin, uh, great yes. lady, doing great things with her own uh, uh, new podcast and, yes. and show and stuff. So, so awesome. Devin's Devin, just an amazing, you know, just human. And she's just someone I really look up to as well. She's she's great. And um, I went on WSM with her when I was 11. And I kind of got introduced with that. And, and she's just, she's the best. And she's an awesome writer and singer too. So just just an awesome lady and just one of my favorite people. So um, I look up to Devin a lot. So <laughs> I concur. <laughs> you, you talk about the, that second album, uh, Showing My Roots. Uh, the title track for that uh, was in the top 100 on the Music Road chart and your future in uh, Music Row magazine and also Billboard magazine. I, I mean, at that point, I, I guess you had to be feeling like you, you might be onto something there. Yeah, I was, I was so proud of that song. I wrote that with Sarah Beth Terry, still one of my favorite songs I've ever written and one that's most requested. I wrote that when I first came to Nashville on like my second day of writing when I was really getting used to <laughs> getting in it. And we wrote it in about 30 minutes. And wow. sometimes I think simple songs are just the best. And, you know, it just depends. I'm, I'm usually ballads take longer and just stuff like that. Me and Sarah Beth Terry wrote that super fast and um, we had such a great time and um, I'm really proud of that song but yeah I just just I really built from that because I feel like that's just a song about me and I'm just I'm trying to make more songs like that so yeah country and me I wrote with Bridget Tatum and I feel like it's pretty similar people really like that and I came out with my second music video for country and me um, in March and could have been a country song I did with Bill DeLuigi back in 2018 so some some pretty cool music videos and stuff have come out from some some stuff I've been doing and that's just been so awesome to get to do that. I've always dreamed of doing the music videos. So hopefully new ones coming soon when we can get back with the film crews and stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah. so you talked about writing that very first song with your mom on a snow day. Okay. Uh, was it something where uh, you asked her to do it or did, did she say, Hey, let's just write a song today or how, how did all that come about? I, I just really wanted to start writing and I've always loved writing in school, poetry and writing papers and stuff. That's, that's what I'm good at. I'm not good at math at all, but I'm, I can write a good paper. So, um, but yeah, I'm an English person. I love history and stuff like that. It goes back with, um, yeah, just like, you know, history of country music I'm really into and just um I love learning about that and really learning where, you know, what we sing now came from and, you know, Patsy Klein's one of my favorites and Kitty Wells I love. Just people, you know, from back then who really started it and I just really look up to Johnny Cash and people like that. So yeah, it's really awesome and um, but yeah, writing, I've just always wanted to do, we just sat down and wrote that, um, one of my first songs I've gotten to write and, um, it was just such a fun experience and I think it's just something I'll always remember and really that's where it kind of started with the writing, which is something I love and just, um, I just do, I usually write, I guess, um, I guess three to four times a week with different people or by myself. So I write a lot of songs and I've really came up with a good catalog. So hopefully a new album or a new EP is coming very soon. So yes. <laughs> well, before we go any further, let's hear that song co-written by Mo Pitney. This is Small Small Town on Fast Line Fast Track.
And I was reading in your bio that uh, you've done some some work playing with Ronald McDonald houses and uh, also have something going on with St. Jude as well. Yeah, I love playing for those. I've played um, at um, the Ronald McDonald house since I was really young in um, Wilkesboro. Um, I love playing at theirs. And Winston, I've played at and um, Nashville um, a couple times. So just I love doing stuff like that and giving back. And um, I would love to do that. There's a thing. Um, here in Nashville um, where you can go into the hospital and sing for patients. It's a whole organization, but you have to be 16. So um, I would, I'm really looking forward to that when I turn 16. I think that's so cool that you can go sing your songs um, to the people in the hospital. I've always looked forward to doing
doing that here in Nashville. I think that's so cool that young people can go do that to other young people and just um, sing music. So um, it's it's really cool. So I just love giving back any any way I can, and I'm just helping people. And I think music is healing. So um, it, it just helps everybody. It helps me for sure, and anytime. <laughs> so yeah. you know, it's just great um, being able to do that as an artist. And I look forward to doing more stuff like that in the future. I've not been able to in a while just because of everything shut down. But I'm looking forward to. It's really cool to go see the families there and um, learn their stories. It's it's really heartbreaking sometimes to learn what they're going through. And um, usually the families are staying at the Ronald McDonald house and the kids are in the hospital and they come for breakfast and um, we just sing and I sing my songs and stuff. So it's, it's really, it's really, um, you know, it's what music's all about and it's really um, giving back. Um, it's just a great thing we can do as, art, as artists. So it's really fun. I enjoy it. So when all is said and done in your career, and I know this is a tough question to, to ask at your age, but what would you consider to be a successful career and what do you hope you have accomplished uh, later on down the road? I would absolutely love to um, be an offering member someday would be incredible or to sing on the offering. Um, hopefully, um, soon would be awesome. And the Ryman was one of my biggest goals and um, obviously tour and just give back to people with what I love to do just because music's just all about having fun and um, just being who you are and just music is who I am and country music. So yeah, just traveling and get my music out there more, meeting new people, giving back and playing the Opry, hopefully like do something like the CMAs would be awesome or something, you know, like that. Just, you know, have an awesome country career and um, the industry would be awesome just to um, do that and just follow my dreams, just keep on um, doing what I love. So I would love that. <laughs> so you've got a new single out. If it wasn't for the storms, tell us about that song. Yes, it's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, me and my friend Builder Luigi wrote that right after the Nashville tornadoes hit um, in March, right before everything happened. We didn't know how crazy the year would really be. So, um, but yeah, we wrote this one um, and it kind of really relates to everything that's been going on in our world. It's um, kind of about if it wasn't for the bad, we wouldn't appreciate the good times, which I've seen in the past couple of weeks. Just, you know, if it wasn't for that time, I wouldn't appreciate being able to go out to the listening room and just that being like so incredible to be back. Me and all of the artists that were there, Lauren Massetti, Janelle, Arthur and Bill, we were just like so excited to be on stage and we were like just so thankful. So that really made us realize how much you know i guess we love performing and how much of a big part of our lives it was and who who we are a big part of who we are so yeah this song's kind of about that and just um just you know appreciating times in your life and if it wasn't for those times we wouldn't appreciate them as much so i think it's a really cool song and it it really kind of um is one i really knew i wanted to release just because it's really relatable and just i think people can really see where we're coming from on this when we wrote it so so for anybody out here getting ready to listen to this uh make, make sure what once this hits give it give your radio stations a call tell them to to get it into the rotation and and uh yes please <laughs> well here it is the new single from Taylor and hope if it wasn't for the storms on fast line fast track the whirlwind was blowing like crazy last night 
Say good morning to my neighbor And asked if she was alright There wasn't any power So we sat down on the porch Wondered why we didn't get around to that some more If it wasn't for a dark hard gray sky or two We wouldn't feel the wonder or even see turns back to blue we wouldn't all get together make the best of bad weather and every day be like the day before for all us lonely raindrops if it wasn't for the storm To Red Robin, whistle through a prayer, thanking God for some kind of sweetness in the air. New day starting over, there's hope for all of us. Same old sunshine seemed brighter than it was. If it wasn't for a dark hard gray sky or two We wouldn't feel the wonder or even see the color when it turns back to blue Say good morning to my neighbor and ask if she was alright. Taylor, if folks want to follow your career, want to download your music, want, want to keep up with the latest and, and, and tour dates, once you can finally get out and start playing out more, uh, where can they go to check you out? Um, you can go check me out under Taylor Hope Music, 15-year-old singer-songwriter nashville and um just everywhere under there and you can find me under spotify and itunes soundcloud any digital streaming platform worldwide and my website is taylorhopemusic.com and um, i'd love to become friends with y'all on there and get to know you guys and you guys to listen to the new music if it wasn't for the storms it's coming out in the next couple weeks so um look out for that and 
every live stream I have, I have a couple this weekend. I post on my Instagram. They're also my website and everything coming up. You can come um, check out on um, all those social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and um, TikTok and all that under Taylor and Hope Music. And I would love to um, see you guys there. And yes, that'd be awesome. So thank you guys for um, tuning in and following me. I appreciate it. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And you're welcome back anytime. I hope you can keep coming back and we can just keep watching this career grow. I would love that. Have me back anytime. And um, I would love to. So thank you guys so much for having me today. I've had a lot of fun just talking. So I hope you're doing good and staying safe and everything. And hope everyone out there is just um, doing doing good and having a good week. So. Well, we want to say a special thank you to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They've got some new hours, so pay close attention. They'll be closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, and then open Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Fridays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., so when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it here on Fast Line Fast Track. also want to say a special shout out to our friends over at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on Facebook so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on the minds of farmers. And speaking of things that are on farmers' minds, harvest season is upon us in many parts of the country. If you're in the market for combines, heads, grain carts, grain dryers, trailers, or anything else, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country hey remember to subscribe to the fast line fast track podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher tune in and iHeartRadio, and add our spotify playlist to your library for all the music of past current and upcoming guests of the show including Taylor and hope also be sure to hit us up on all the socials facebook twitter instagram linkedin and youtube well it's time for us to get on out of here so until next time it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.